Today I want to talk to you about work. About, let's talk about jobs for just a minute. Someone tell me an interesting job which you have had. Anybody had, has anybody had an interesting job? Anybody? What you had, Brownie? A boxing judge. Pretty interesting. Anybody else? Anybody else have an interesting job? You're shaking your head, no, my job's not interesting. <laughs> Anybody else? An interesting job. Well, I saw on TV, there's a TV program called Dirty Jobs. Anybody ever watch Dirty Jobs? Yeah, okay. Well, this guy, what's his name? Is it Mike or? Micro, yeah. He goes and he, he uh, you know, is, of course, it's a TV show, so uh, a reality show, so he gets involved in doing these jobs. He volunteers to do these jobs. And he goes and he gets into some of the awfulest places you've ever seen. If you've watched it, it's really funny to watch because, I mean, and some of it's just let me just say, it's pretty disgusting, really. I mean, he, you know, he gets really, really dirty in some of this stuff. I mean, I'm talking about physically dirt all over you and grime and sludge and and uh, he went down, I think, uh, he went down in a manhole last time I saw. I mean, it's, and, and, and it was uh, a lot going on down there in the manhole. Well, anyway, so dirty, dirty jobs. And they are some, they are some dirty, uh, some dirty jobs, uh, you know, and uh, there are some jobs that maybe not were interesting for you, but you, you just didn't like them. I mean, some things you like to do, some work you like to do, some work you don't like to do. I mean, isn't that, isn't that fair to say? Some work we enjoy, some work we don't enjoy. Well, I've, I've had uh, some jobs that I liked and some that I didn't like, but there was something they all had in common, and that was it all required work. I had to work. You know, work is important. In the beautiful Garden of Eden, we think about Adam and Eve sitting back like uh, sipping on a sweet tea all day long, but that's not what it was. I mean, it was a beautiful world, and God created it, and God made everything grow, and He watered it just right. But He told Adam and Eve to work. He said, I want you to tend the garden. Now, if work was important, for Adam and Eve and the first man and woman in the Garden of Eden, it's important for us. In fact, let me tell you that I've learned in some of the work that I've done that work's important for man, people and animals. You know, I've done a lot of work with horses. I, I had my first one when I was about 10 years old. My grandmother got one for me. He was a little six-year-old, six-month-old little colt, and uh, uh, we, uh, his, his owner called him Peanut. We called him Comanche. We didn't like Peanut. And uh, called him Comanche. He was a little bitty fella, a little white in the wintertime with a blonde mane. And in the summer, he'd turn Palomino color, a lot of tan with blonde mane. And I, when I got that little horse, I didn't know anything about horses. And uh, I didn't know how to train that horse, and he didn't know how to be a horse. I mean, he just, he just was what he was, uh, be a good horse. And uh, so I went to the school library, and I got every book I could find, and I started reading. And then I just started doing the only thing I knew to do. I thought he'd maybe treat him like a dog, you know, just pet him. And I just got my hands all over him and petted him and rubbed him and got some brushes, brushed him, just did all that kind of stuff. And I began to work, 
work with him, and I learned through that hands-on, hands-on experience how to train that horse. Eventually, he trusted me, and I trusted him, and, and I was trying to get him to the place I could put a saddle on him and ride him, and eventually we got to that place, and then when I got on him for the first time, it took a lot of work to stay on because he didn't like it. And he bucked and he bucked and I was hanging on, boy. And, but, you know, eventually we got to be good friends. And uh, I'd take, I took real good care of him. We'd go out and we'd, I'd pack some sandwiches and we'd go out and find us a, well, you know, a go out and spend the day. And I'd get his lead rope and hop down and sit there and on the ground eat my sandwiches and drink a drink or whatever. And I'd ride him up to the general store and get something, you know. And then I'd ride him out into forest and, and he would eat grass and I would eat my sandwiches and I just had a good time and I got to tell you it's a job I really loved because for a teenage boy a young teenage boy that was good work that was important work it made a, be- it made a better man out of me to work and I got to tell you that with horses and now I know a whole lot about them and horses need a job too it makes a better better horse these horses sitting out in the pasture nobody ever messes with they're not that great horses I'm going to tell you because a horse needs a job, and that job is to take care of its of his owner, his rider, of riding him and doing something or whatever. And uh, but once you get loose contact with them, they're not that good. They need a job, and uh, uh, and people need a job. We need to work because it makes us better. And in my life, God put some people in my life that really knew how to work. My dad was the hardest working man I ever knew in my life, and still is. I never, I've never known a man that worked as hard as my dad worked, okay? And then my grandfather, I mean, to me, he was like legendary. Uh, he uh, guarded the Panama Canal in the Army in the 1920s. And he told me, he said, when, he said that's when God really saved him. And he said he came home, and it was, early, it was the late 20s and early 30s, and he said the the houses were in such disrepair during the Depression era. He said, I got my little toolbox and I went around and I started helping people. God wanted me to help people and I started helping repair houses. Well, from that he became a carpenter and, and constru- uh, a general contractor. And he built houses and he built stores. He lived in Carolina Beach. I remember he built convenience stores. And he worked on how I worked a little bit with him in construction and learned how to work like that. But my grandfather always worked as long as he lived, as long as he could. Uh, a hurricane went through Carolina Beach, blew the shingles off his house. My granddad, my grandfather, he wouldn't wait on somebody else to come and help him. He was up there when my dad and some of us got there. He was up there climbing, taking bundles of shingles on his shoulder up to his roof and shingling his roof. Uh, I think he was 86 at the time. Uh, he worked, he lived to be 97, and he worked all his life doing something because work is important. Work is important for people. And that's how I developed a good work ethic, by watching people that, could, that really took their job serious, seriously, whatever it was, and worked hard. And, um, and by doing things with my hands and learning how to do a whole lot of things, you know, like being a jack of all trades and a master of none kind of thing. You know, I know how to do a whole lot of things because I always wanted to work. And I'm sure you've had jobs, you're kind of like that, you've done a lot of things. 
and uh, you've worked, if, you, if you like working with your hands or, or working with your mind or whatever you're doing. But work is important. But I want to talk to you about the greatest work of all. The most important work that you or I could ever do, and that's kingdom work. You know what the kingdom of, the kingdom of God is? It's the kingdom rule of God. It's God's rule and reign. God's rule and reign in our hearts. God's rule and reign, His future rule and reign on this earth. His rule and reign in heaven. Wherever there's God ruling and reigning, that's the kingdom rule. That's the kingdom of God. And let me tell you something. For God to rule and reign in our hearts and lives, it takes work. Would you agree with that? Amen. Don't you think it takes work for us to give more of ourselves to God? It takes work for us to let Him rule and reign in us. Amen. It does. But then, then for God to, God's kingdom to come, while we're waiting for it, He wants us to work. I want to look at the example of Jesus today. I want to see how Jesus worked and what we need to do to follow His example. As we pray, sow, and grow for His kingdom. Matthew chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, look with me. Matthew chapter 9. As I always do, I'm going to open the Word of God. I'm going to read it. I'm going to ask God to speak through it. So if you have your Bibles and are willing and able, stand and let's honor God's Word today. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus talking about the kingdom. I just want to read a few verses with you this, uh, this morning. Look at verse 35. Matthew 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, and I want you to pay close attention to what Jesus did. Teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like a sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and I believe that every person who hears it today is hearing it for a reason. Because you have given them a divine appointment with you. And you want to say something to them, something personally, that would help them give more of themselves to you, and that they would work harder for your kingdom. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Pray so grow, kingdom work. Now, the events of Matthew 9 take place immediately following the encounter Jesus had in Gadara with a man who was possessed with a legion of demons. Perhaps you remember that story. Jesus cast those demons from this man, and they went into a herd of pigs. And those pigs ran, went crazy and ran off a cliff and drowned themselves in the Sea of Galilee. And then Matthew 9 opens. And I want to look at Matthew 9 because... In Matthew 9, we're just going to read it. I'm not going to elaborate on all of it, but we're going to read parts of it. Because this is like a narrative. It's a story of what happened. Let's just follow along just a moment. Verse 1 opens. So he got in the boat. Remember? He was in Gadara. He crossed over and he came back to his own city. What was Jesus' city? Anybody remember? He was born in Bethlehem, but where did he live? 
Nazareth. Thank you, Nazareth. And he came to Nazareth, his own city. And, then, and, and so Jesus was back in Nazareth. And for the rest of this chapter, we're going to see a lot of kingdom work on the part of Jesus as he healed people and helped people everywhere he went. And thousands of people were brought to him that he might heal them. Now, I want you just to follow along with me. Look in, your, look in the Word and let's follow. I've put the verses on the screen also for you to see. Matthew 9. Look now, look at 2 through 7. Then behold, they brought to Jesus a paralytic lying on a bed. He's paralyzed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said with them in themselves, This man blasphemies. Blasphemes, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose, and he departed to his house. So, as Jesus taught and healed, then he revealed his authority as the God who can forgive sins. All right? Verses 9 to 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. Now, which, what's the name of the gospel we're reading here in the New Testament? Matthew, okay? So this is a pretty important, pretty important calling right now because of not, not only is Matthew going to be a great disciple, but Matthew's going to give us a lot of information in the Word of God here. Uh, so uh, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me, Matthew. So Matthew arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house. I think it's Matthew's house, okay? That behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but what? Sinners to repentance. Now, how did Jesus get an audience with those sinners and tax collectors? Who did he call first? Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. So that opened the door for others to come. So Jesus is working now. Working. And remember that... Jesus cast kingdom seeds everywhere he went. And when he cast one at Matthew, it took root in Matthew, and Matthew followed Jesus, became one of his, one of his disciples. And then that one seed grew into an opportunity to reach a lot of people, lost sinners, people Matthew knew. Jesus cast kingdom seeds to them, and they listened. Jesus did not shun these people as the Pharisees did. He did not look at them with hatred as the scribes did. He showed them His divine love and mercy. He healed them spiritually. Now, next, some followers of John the Baptist asked Jesus, <clears throat> remember John the Baptist, 
He was the one who was, he was the first New Testament prophet, actually. And he's the one who's, who announced the coming of Messiah, of Jesus. And so, and he was the cousin of Jesus. And so John the Baptist, his disciples, came to Jesus' disciples, and Jesus, he asked, Rabbi, teacher, if you see teacher in the English translation, it's rabbi, you know. Rabbi, why do you and your disciples not fast like John instructed us to do? And then Jesus used that opportunity to teach kingdom truth. You know, that John was the one that planted the seeds that the Messiah is coming. He's the one that, that was announcing the coming of the Messiah. But that he himself, Jesus, was the groom that was soon, he was going to go away for a while, but then one day he was going to come back for his bride. Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to that day. And then we read in verses 18 through 21, while Jesus spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped Jesus, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood, a blood disorder, for twelve years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. So while Jesus was on his way to the house of, we know his name was Jairus from another passage. While he was on the way to the house of Jairus to raise his daughter, a sick woman was healed when she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. She touched him by faith. No one else had been able to help her. She had spent everything she had on doctors and medicine. Maybe you know how that, how that is. That, they didn't help her. I want you to notice that when Jesus asked, Who touched me? The disciples were surprised because there were so many people touching Jesus. Yet this one woman, out of all the people, I mean, he's walking through masses of people. They're all rubbing him. They're all touching him. But this one woman received healing because... Her touch was a touch of faith. And faith is the only thing that can bring God's power into our circumstances. Hebrews eleven six. Let's read the faith, faith verse. Ready? Go. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. This poor woman diligently sought Jesus. She reached out to Jesus in faith, and she was healed. That was another lesson Jesus taught as He walked through the field, casting kingdom seeds to teach us the importance of coming to God by faith. Well, then Jesus arrived at the home of the girl who had died. Look at verse 23 for just a moment. When Jesus came into the ruler's house, and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing. Back then they paid people to come and, and mourn and play sad music for the funeral. And so when they saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room. The girl's not dead but sleeping. He, another pastor says he sent them all out. And they ridiculed Jesus, but when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took the little girl by the hand and 
said, Talitha Kumi, you know, little girl, get up. Get up, little girl. And, the report, and, and he took her by the hand, and the girl arose from the dead. And the report of this went out into all the land. Pretty powerful miracle here. Now, when Jesus raised this little girl to life, his kingdom seeds went everywhere as people astonished by the power of Jesus to raise the dead began to spread the good news everywhere they went. And that's what we must do. Just tell what Jesus has done. Just tell what Jesus has done for the world. Tell what Jesus has done for our own personal lives. Now, it had been a long day, but the work was not over. Verse 27. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe I'm able to do this, that I'm able to heal your blindness? And they said, Yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your what? Faith. Let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus warned them, sternly warned them, saying, Now, see that no one knows about it. He had a reason for doing that. But <laughs> when they had departed the house where Jesus was, they spread the news about him in all that country. I mean, it was just too much for them to keep to themselves. Again, Jesus reminded those blind men, men as well as those who were with him, that God requires faith in those who seek him. Blindness, even spiritual blindness. It's a terrible thing. Spirit blindness. But the one who can raise the dead can heal the physical and the spiritual blindness. We must come to him by faith, though. You, you, you see, the kingdom of God that we have waiting for us, listen. You and I don't really know what heaven is going to be like. It's a mystery. You don't know. We think we know. But it's going to be far greater than anything we can even imagine. People ask me, what's heaven like? I cannot even imagine how good it's going to be. Our earthly eyes are still blind to the glory of the kingdom of God. But one day Jesus is going to heal that blindness and we will see clearly what's ahead. I've often been amazed at how Dear saints of God, maybe you've, heard, maybe you've had experience with this, I have. Dear saints of God, on their la breathing their last few breaths of life, with their last moments on earth, have seen something. I believe a vision of God's kingdom. My great-grandmother saw angels in her room. My grandmother saw a vision a glimpse of heaven. Only Jesus can heal the blindness of sin that keeps us confined to our earthly life and gives us, and only He can give us eyes that are fitted for His kingdom. He healed these blind men. And what did they do? They told everybody. They sowed, they sowed kingdom seeds. And then we see verse 32. Now, as they went out, behold, they brought to Jesus a man mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. He couldn't talk. He spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. Wow. There's always some that just will not believe, aren't there? 
While many were made to see, some were still blind. The Pharisees, with no faith in Jesus, continued in their spiritual darkness, spreading their lies against Jesus, trying to draw men away from God to do their own evil ways. People are still doing that today, folks, as many are trying to lead the world away from Jesus. So many powerful people hate Jesus because they want to control, powerful people want to control the multitudes. They offer them things in this life to trap them. Jesus offers something far greater than anything on this earth. He offers eternal life in His kingdom. Which is more important, folks? The earthly trinkets and treasures that man can give you or the resurrection life that Jesus can give you? Which is more important to you? Do you have faith enough in Jesus to receive His eternal life and His kingdom? Are you following Jesus or are you following the voices of evil men and women in this world? The only place these Christ-haters will lead you is, in, is to an eternal judgment and punishment in hell. That's where they will spend eternity. These people today, our modern-day Pharisees with their own religions, their own social religions, who deny the Word of God and the truth of God, they have nothing of eternal value to offer. It is foolish for man to follow these people. That's why Jesus spent all this time and effort doing everything He could to sow the seeds of the kingdom. I want you to think about what we've read in Matthew chapter 9. In this one chapter, so much had happened. So much was happening around Jesus. Amidst all the sickness and sorrow and sin and false teaching, Jesus was the one sowing kingdom seeds. The rest of the people were going about their own sorrowful lives, carrying all their misery, and they would have continued doing what they were doing had it not been for the seeds of the kingdom that Jesus sowed that landed on them in their circumstances. It started with Jesus. He was the sower. He sowed seeds that took root in many hearts and multitudes were transformed by His power. And when they were transformed by faith, that's when they started to tell others and sow kingdom seeds. But that was still, there were still only a few of them. Verse 35, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So much need and so few sowing. Where were the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah and Micah? Where were the, why were the Pharisees not pointing people to God's kingdom? Well, the prophets had died centuries earlier, looking forward to the day that, they, that happened here in Matthew chapter 9, the day when Messiah Jesus would show up and come and bring the good news of the kingdom. The Pharisees and scribes who should have been preaching the same message of Jesus had become so corrupt that they all thought all they thought about was their own political influence with Rome and their power over the people. It was a corrupt day, just like the day in which we live. The day where people are trapped. And that's why Jesus said what he said in Matthew 9, verse 37, 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. When Jesus looked at the multitudes, he saw a scene, a huge scene of lostness. The lostness 
was great in his day as it is in ours. Multitudes of people had come to Christ. He had gone everywhere preaching and teaching and healing, and still there was great lostness. He, along with a few good men, were carrying on the kingdom work all by themselves. The bag of kingdom seeds was so huge that it was more than one man or a few men could carry in order to reach the world with the good news of the kingdom. That huge, gigantic bag of kingdom seeds had to be divided out and given to other workers who would go into the field and do kingdom work, spreading the seeds of the kingdom. That's still God's plan for kingdom work. The sacrifice of Jesus is too great that we would ignore and fail to do our part. Every believer is called to kingdom work. Kingdom sowing is work. It requires labor. It requires dedication. It requires a vision to see as Jesus sees. It requires a passion like the passion in the heart of Jesus who looked at a lost and dying world and wept over them. We must have compassion for people and love for God that moves us from our complacency into a lifetime of kingdom work. Now, we all work jobs to earn money and survive, and we all look forward to that day when we can enjoy the fruits of our labor and we can retire and maybe travel. But in God's kingdom work, folks, there's no retirement. As long as we live, we must keep sowing seeds, kingdom seeds. Our phases of life may change. But our kingdom work of sowing remains the same. Whether you are young in school, or you're grown with a job and a family, or you're retired from a job, the kingdom work is the same. It's the same for everyone. We are called to sow kingdom seeds in this world until the harvest comes. Now that means as long as we have breath in this body and the mental capacity to do so, we are called to help as many people as we can come to Jesus for healing and the life that they desperately need. When Jesus touched these people, when He transformed their lives, they began to tell others about Jesus. They told others what Jesus had done for them. And that's exactly what we must do in our world today. It's not easy, folks, especially in a day so dark where people hate God as they do. But what we have... But what we have is a world that is lost, that needs Jesus. And all we can do is give them God's Word and tell them how that Word has changed our lives. We can point them to the wonderful Savior who is the shepherd that can lead them into His eternal kingdom. We need to start talking about Jesus again. Amen? Now look at your world. You see the same thing Jesus saw? Verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Look at your world. Do you see people as Jesus saw them? Do you see the struggling people in your world, people without the good shepherd to lead them? I have some news for you. The people around you, struggling people, dying people, they want a shepherd. They want someone to lead them. That's why they're turning to all these false prophets in the world. They will find someone to lead them. Who in this, listen, who in this world should do the kingdom work of bringing people to Jesus? Say, I should. Say it, I should. Who has Jesus called? Say, me. Me. Say it, me. Jesus called me. And let me tell you what he did. He gave you, he saved you, Christian. He saved you. And He put in your hands a bag of kingdom seeds 
I don't know how many's in that bag. I just know that you're supposed to sow them. I'm supposed to sow them as long as I live. Every day, sow them. In my bag, in your bag, He handed you one. He's given you one. We are laborers together with Christ. He says, you go work with me in my kingdom. We're laborers. We may not be faithful laborers. We not, may not be good workers. But you and I have been called to work and so would Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Just say, how long have you been saved? How long have you had Jesus in your life? Think about it. In your Christian life, how many seeds have you sown in the time since you accepted Jesus as your Savior? How many people have you pointed to Jesus in that time? How much effort have you put in working for His kingdom? How much time does Jesus want you to put into His kingdom work? And from what you know about Jesus, how much, how much did Jesus put into His kingdom work? How much? Everything. He put all His time in it because kingdom work needs to go on all the time. That's our kingdom principle. Let's read the kingdom principle. Ready? For a believer, kingdom work is part of everyday life. Of, what, of how much life? Every day. You see, it's mixed up in everything we do. Jesus is our example. Whenever Jesus, wherever Jesus went, He met people. And wherever He met people, He sowed kingdom seeds. And what was the work that He did? Verse 35, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. I want you to notice quickly the elements of Jesus' work that He taught His disciples to do. Number one, teaching teaching the truth of God's Word. This world is so filled with lies. People need to hear some truth. The greatest truth of all, the truth that can change a life, is found in God's Word. Man's words come and go. In fact, we know man lies frequently. All you have to do is turn on the TV or the Internet, and you hear all kinds of lies, don't you? But I know one who is faithful and true, and that's the Lord Jesus. And when He speaks, His Word is true forever. God's Word's powerful, able to transform lives and change circumstances. We need to give the world God's Word. God said, So my Word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. The Lord instructed His Old Testament people to teach His Word every day in their homes to their children. If it was important then, folks, how much more important do you think it is today, in today in our day in which we live, to teach God's Word to our children? I think it's very important, especially in this dark and deceitful day. How much information do your children receive through their electronic devices every day? They're bombarded with information. We're in an information age. Well, how much of that information is true and how much is not true? Well, I can tell you that this sinful culture is telling your children there is no God, there is no heaven, there is no hell. When they die, they are either going to cease to exist or they're going to come back as some animal or some plant. These are the lies that the world's teaching our children today. Perhaps we need to start telling our children every day, that God loves them. He created them with a great purpose. And if they follow that purpose, it'll turn out to be great for them. And they can find it if they read and study God's Word. Amen? Then Jesus went preaching, telling the good news of the kingdom. You know, we're to share with others the truth of Jesus. 
How Jesus was the God who put on flesh and died on the cross to pay for our sins. On the cross, Jesus was beaten and tortured and pierced with thorns and nails. On the cross, Jesus suffered an agony for us as His life drained from His body. On the cross, Jesus took and carried our sins, dying for our sins as a lamb of sacrifice. Jesus suffered and died on the cross for us so that we would not have to suffer and, and pay for our sins for eternity in hell. And that's the gospel. The good news that God's forgiveness and eternal life is available to all who would follow Jesus. Jesus died for us and then He rose from the dead so we could live forever with Him in His kingdom. Through His death and resurrection, the Lord Jesus made the only way into heaven. That way is through faith in Him. He's both the door into the kingdom and the shepherd who can lead us there. Jesus said, read it with me, John 10, My sheep... Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now that's good news, and that's the good news of the kingdom. There is eternal life and eternal security in Jesus. And the way we receive Jesus and he, and is, to, is to believe what He did for us. It's through faith. I wasn't there when he died on the cross, but I can believe this Bible. I believe what it tells me. I have believed. I have received Jesus into my life as Savior and Lord. When I first believed, it was because someone told me the words of this book. They sowed these kingdom seeds. But now I believe because I have a personal relationship with my shepherd. Jesus lives in my life. He's still at work in me. If they took all the Bibles in the world away, I would still believe in Jesus because He lives in me. And I know He's there. My sins are gone. He's forgiven me. But let me tell you something. Because I have been saved and I'm going to heaven, and the death has lost its sting, that's wonderful. He made me fit for His kingdom. But I don't want to go. I don't want to go there empty-handed. I don't want to live on this planet for myself and have nothing to show for my part in His kingdom. Jesus gave me a bag of seeds to sow. And folks, I don't want to get to, to heaven and that bag still be full. Because that would mean that all those people who needed to hear about Jesus from me didn't hear. Kingdom work, folks, is hard work. It takes a tremendous amount of commitment to sow the seeds of the kingdom. You and I know what it is to work a job. What if your boss looked at you and he said, Hey, hey you, <laughs> my yard out there needs some grass seed. Here's a bag of seeds. Go out there and throw these seeds all over the place. I want you to plant these seeds for me so I can have a nice green lawn to look at. What if your boss told you that? And you took that bag of seeds, yes sir, and you walked out there with your little bag of seeds, and you took those seeds and you looked there and you said, okay, one, two, three. And you covered them up. And you carried that back in there, that full, almost full bag of seed. And you carried that back to your boss and you said, okay, this is not my job to do and I'm giving it back to you. I planted three seeds and that's all I'm going to do, period. What would your boss say to you? What would he say? You're what? Fired. <laughs> Well, folks, I want to tell you something. We have a shepherd who loves us more than anything. And he was willing to give up everything for us. And he's given us a bag of seeds and instructed us to go work. And he's already done it. He set the, the, the example for us. He was the first sower. 
And when we sow the seeds in our bag in our daily lives, we sow, we show Jesus just how much we love Him and respect Him. And that brings us to the third thing He did, He healing, healing. Folks, everywhere Jesus went, He healed because He saw the needs. Christians are spiritual in their spiritual nature, they're giving people. You know, the flesh doesn't want to give. Our flesh is selfish. But when Jesus comes to live in our hearts, so does the desire to help others. Jesus knew that in order to reach some people. He had to meet their physical needs. And He used the meeting of physical needs as an opportunity to teach spiritual lessons. So when Jesus said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, that was an opportunity to teach people that he had the power to forgive and to heal because then he told the man, get up and walk. When we truly see with eyes of compassion, we will want to help others. A heart where there's no love is a heart where there's no Jesus. True faith has legs. In other words, if we really believe in Jesus, if we've received his gift of salvation, if we've been blessed by him abundantly, then we want others to be blessed, don't we? How can we say we have faith in God if we don't want God to transform lives. James wrote, if a brother or sister is without clothes and he lacks daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, go in peace and keep warm. Eat well. But if you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith from my works. How often did Jesus show compassion? Every time he saw a need. Kingdom work is healing work. And whatever it takes, we need to help people heal. When you're dealing with the problems of people, it's dirty work, folks. It's oftentimes messy work. You, know, you never know what you might hear, what you might encounter. Just think about all the uncleanness around Jesus. You know, he, he touched lepers when everybody else was running from them. He ministered to the tax collectors and sinners when the Pharisees you know, derided them. He offered compassion and healing to the woman caught in the act of adultery when they were ready to stone her. Put yourself in all the places where Jesus went and encountered people. You're in that crowd, folks. You're somewhere in that crowd. And Jesus had compassion on you, didn't he? And he healed you. Most of the people in the world are reaching out today. Christian, sow some seeds and see what God does with them. And then finally, the fourth element is praying. We pray for people a lot. We're a praying church. We have a beautiful prayer group that meets every Sunday morning at 9.30. Brother Joel Hansen's the leader of that group. They get started and they spend 45 minutes in prayer each Sunday morning. I believe that's, that's powerful, folks. Some of you are part of that group. Some of you go regularly to that prayer group. Some of you go three weeks to your Sunday school class and then you go spend a week in prayer or, or a Sunday in prayer with them. Folks, that's powerful. Prayer brings us the mind of God we can commune with God. And we have many things for which we should pray. We should pray that God will give us our daily bread. We should pray that God would forgive us our sins. God would bring His kingdom rule to earth. We're instructed to pray for one another, but this is what I consider to be the most important prayer of all or one of them. Verse 37 and 38, then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is but the labors are few. Therefore, here's the prayer, read it with me. Pray the Lord of the harvest send out laborers into his harvest. That's because that really reveals your faith or your lack of faith. If we truly believe Jesus is returning, we will be we will gladly be workers in His harvest. And we will pray that others will go 
and so. Jesus said that he wouldn't return until the gospel was preached around the world. If we believe that, then we need to do everything we can to get the gospel around the world. When we give it, when you give your offerings to this church even, you are, you are allowing us and enabling us to get this live stream out that is reaching sometimes 10,000 people in a week around the world. When you give, you're enabling us to give to mission work, to help, you see. So that's important. You can, everybody needs to work and everybody can do something because God has given something to every one of us that, we, that He can use for His kingdom work. Before He ascended into heaven, He said, You take the message of the kingdom, you disciples, to all the world, wherever you go. That great commission was not just for them, it was for us. It's your commission and my commission. Now, if I really believe my king's coming again, I'm going to do whatever I can to help others enter his kingdom. And folks, to work for the kingdom, we have got to start sowing kingdom seeds among people we meet every day. We must pray, sow, grow. Not only, we must pray not only for them to come to Christ and find salvation, but we need to pray for them to join the kingdom work. We need to teach Christians how to do kingdom work again. Listen, we're not... Uh, folks, we're in one of the laziest days I've ever seen. Do you know that? I, I really. There's just not the commitment level to work there used to be for a lot of reasons. That lack of commitment translates into lower productivity in our society. It, it, it translates into problems in marriages. translates into lack of church attendance. And the worst thing of all, the failure to work in the kingdom. So as we meet people and sow the seeds of the kingdom, not only should we be praying for their needs and praying for their salvation, but we need to start praying that they will get into the kingdom work with us. And so... Being a Christian is not easy, folks. It requires a lot of commitment. Jesus said a lot about work in His kingdom. He said, then Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. That's hard, folks. Jesus said kingdom work means giving up your desires, your ambitions, your goals, your time, your treasures, your energies, and giving them all to Jesus and saying, Jesus, here I am. I surrender all. Build your kingdom with me. And Jesus said, do it daily. The kingdom work is daily work and necessary work. Being a follower of Jesus is a lifetime commitment, and it's tough. It's hard work, but in the end, the reward is out of this world. It's eternal life in the kingdom of God. That's what makes it all worth it. So let me ask you something. Paul, Peter, they all faced ridicule, torture, death. Did they think it was worth it all? Yes, they did. So what about we here in America where we can speak the name of Jesus anywhere we choose without being arrested or beaten? Why would we not be as willing to do kingdom work as they were? Folks, I want to tell you this week, as you see people around you, as you sow seeds, as you hear the responses of people, start praying that they will join the kingdom work with us. 
When you say to someone, God bless you, and they respond, thank you, maybe you could say, I hope you'll pass that blessing on to someone else who needs it. When you say, Jesus loves you, and someone says, I know He does, He's my Savior, then perhaps you could say, I'm so glad to hear that. I'm going to pray that God will use you to pass that good news along to someone else. And then don't forget to pray for them to enter the field. And finally, when you have a whole room of people around you, like you do here today, you know, and you've got people around you who need to be involved in kingdom work, every one of us. And many are doing the Pray So Grow book. And this week I want you to think about people in your church family. And I want you to pray for them, that God will use them to sow kingdom seeds. Pray that God will send them into this field that's ripe for harvest. So I want you just to think about that. Pray for people in this room. And I know when we work for Christ and His kingdom, we're going to be blessed for it. When we work for kingdom growth, God will bless us. He'll bless our church family. Don't think what you're doing for Jesus is insignificant because no act, small or great, (coughs) goes unnoticed. By the all-seeing eyes and compassionate heart of the Savior, Jesus said, for whoever gives you a cup of cold water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Everybody needs Jesus, folks. He said, he, listen to this promise, he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. What's going to happen when you get to heaven with your bag? I'm going to tell you something. I hope it's empty. I do. One day my work in this life is going to be over. And I'm going to heaven to enjoy the kingdom with my Savior, the, the place He's prepared for me there. And I'm going to live there with Him forever. It's my prayer today that when I get there, my life will have counted for something. I will, it's my prayer that my Savior, who gave everything for me, would have in some way used me for His kingdom purposes. I don't want to have a bag filled with kingdom seeds when I get to heaven. I want an empty bag. And I want your bag to be empty. Now, how do you feel about that? What's in your bag? (laughs) Let's pray that they'll all be gone when we get to heaven. Amen? A pastor wrote, I don't know what his name was, but he wrote this. I read this. It's interesting. In my first pastorate in Alabama, we had a Sunday night watermelon fellowship. We fellowshiped together eating watermelon. During our time, we began a watermelon seed spitting contest. Unknown to us, a few seeds made, it, made their way into the soil between a brick wall and the driveway. Well, a few weeks later, we had little watermelon plants growing up in the drive. A few month, so then months after that, a few months later, we were eating watermelons harvested from those plants. Well, today, he said, as we sow seeds, we may never know what impact they're having. We may sow and never see what, happen, see what happened in a life. But one day when we get to heaven and someone's there because we sowed a seed that grew into faith, that's when we will eat the watermelon and it will be glorious. Nothing could be more important in this life than kingdom work because God can take one seed we sow and transform a life or a world. Amen? Bow with me. I'm going to ask you again, how long have you been saved? How many years? 
How many seeds have you sown? God's going to keep replenishing that bag till you get to heaven. But when you get finished in this life, will you have done all the kingdom work God wanted to do with you? Maybe your seed bag's full. You need to get to work. There's so many people around you that need to hear some good news from you. No one can do your job. God has given you a unique position in His kingdom work, and it's your job. It's your job, your position. And no one can take it. So pray and ask the Lord to give you opportunities every day to work for Him and sow His kingdom seeds. And He will do it. And ask God to make you aware of those opportunities. Pray so grow has helped me be more aware of opportunities. I hope it has you. And where should you be? If if you're where you should be in your Pray So Grow book, that's the place where you're paying attention to the opportunities when they come. And so maybe today in this message, God's planted a seed in your heart and you want Jesus to be your Savior. Let me help you with that. You want Jesus in your life? Pray with me and mean it. Reach out in faith and say, Jesus, I do believe in you. I believe you are the only Savior I could ever have. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you suffered and shed your blood for me. Please forgive me for my sins. Please come into my heart and to my life and be my Savior forever. Right now, Jesus, I reach out in faith. I take hold of you. And I ask you to live in me. And Jesus... Use me to help other people find you in your kingdom. As long as I live, help me follow you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Folks, if God touched you in some way, if you want to talk about it, I'll be at the front while we're singing. If you ask Jesus into your heart, let me know. I'd love to help you, encourage you. You need to be in a good church where the Bible's taught. And folks, pray for one another. Even while we're, you know, while we're praying now, pray for the people around you to be kingdom sowers. And if you are, didn't get a Pray So Grow book, but you want one, we'll try to get one. I'll just try to get some more if you, if you, if you want one. Just let me know. Lord, thank you so much. You're not only our Savior, but you're the best friend any of us could have. You're the the one that makes life worth living and eternity in heaven possible for us. Lord, as long as I live, I want to work for you. Help us all feel that way. Help us not get to heaven with a full bag of seeds, but help us sow every one of them you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing. And with us as we sing, only trust Him. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy.